and welcome to the Dr. Squeeze Show podcast, featuring all the best bits from my radio show this week. Remember, if you want to listen in live and hear all the music which we have to cut out this podcast for rights reasons, please go to thebear.live every Thursday, 8pm till 10pm. Thank you very much and enjoy this week's show. Welcome to the show with your friend and mine. So tell me, Dr. Squee, who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk and we love to hear you listen. And if you are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. Welcome to the Dr. Squish Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squish Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squish Show. Headphones up. Here we go. Hi, this is Bill Obers Jr., and you're listening to the Dr. Squish Show here on The Bear. Stay tuned. Don't leave. Don't make me go all creepy on your ass. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. I am Dr. Squee and this is my show. Of course, on the bear, as Bill O'Burst Jr. correctly says there, we have got a really, really packed, busy show tonight. Tonight we've got a panel from uh, Forza Crowd. So there is a podcast sitcom, which I'm the narrator for. And I've got one of my co-hosts, Jeff Freitner on, and also one of the writer-directors, Zachary Raw joins us. That's a bit later in the show. Earlier, before that, we've got Level Up Leroy, Papa Bear Paul G, and James King all joining me to talk about the Justice League, and that's the uh, Snyder Cut, which just got released the four hours plus mega cut of that film, which, oh man, was a much more satisfying venture than that awful Joss Whedon abortion that came previously. And <laughs> speaking of abortions, Joss Whedon! Anyway, enough of that talk. This week has also marked a very uh, sad and powerful anniversary. So the UK here, where we're broadcasting from, just marked a year of being in and out of lockdown. And since uh, Boris Johnson first announced the lockdown here in the UK. And we had a kind of moment where everyone stood out on their doorsteps at eight o'clock that day. There was a minute silence earlier on in the day at midday. And then we stood on our doorsteps with our phones lit, um, held aloft to remember all those we lost during this last year. And uh, there, you know, on my street, there were kind of a, a few lights I could see, but uh, I kind of was shining my phone uh, with my dear Nicholas and it um, stood next to me. And I shone it and uh, I noticed the people down the road, because uh, there was only a few lights, and they kind of were shining theirs in our direction. So I kind of shined ours back. And it, it may sound funny, and I'm probably not doing the moment justice, but in a year which has been about us all been distanced and apart, having a moment when we're remembering people who we've lost, and just having a moment of connection with a stranger who lives on the same street as me, through our phone lights shining in the same direction um, it just felt like a real beautiful moment and I'd like to dedicate the show uh, to the first guest we had on the Dr. Squee show first of all that's uh, Tim Brooke Taylor who sadly passed away of COVID just weeks after I interviewed him and that was one of the first things which really brought it home to me and then there was my dear friend Fiona Angwin, who we played a, um, I did a replay of the interview I did with her previously for my uh, past podcast. 
on here on uh, the Doctor Squeeze show. I'd like to dedicate for them. And um, Fee, we miss you. Tim Brooke Taylor, um, your work meant so much to me. And uh, I grew up listening and watching you with my dad. And just it's um, a great moment to stop and remember what we've lost over this year and uh, what we're hopefully getting back slowly but surely as people get vaccinated. So uh, this show is dedicated to, to all those we've lost. Uh, we're going to go straight into our talk of Justice League straight after this first track. And this does go out to um, all those we lost in the last year. It's from the Deadpool 2 soundtrack. And this is Ashes by Celine Dion. Please enjoy. left to say these prayers aren't working anymore every word shot down in flames can beauty come out of Tonight, we're going to be delving into the Justice League, the Snyder Cut. Does it do justice better to our heroes, or is it a too far? Three men join me to take on this epic four-hour journey of the film. Please welcome to the Dr. Squeeze Show, Papa, Papa Paul G. Good evening. <laughs> From the Retract Podcast, James King. Hello. And your friend of mine, the Comic-Con DJ himself, level up, Leroy Rodriguez! Hey, what's going on, everyone? And the Dr. Squee Show tonight, very much not brought to you by Virgin Media. Virgin Media, when you absolutely don't care if you get online or not. So we're on 4G tonight. So, <laughs> everyone welcome. Virgin Media, sort your act out. Anyway, we're here to talk about the Justice League, though. Of course, the Snyder Cut was released this week. An epic four hour, is it four hour and two minutes or something like this? Uh, but over four hours, certainly cut up into chapters this time. And uh, Zack Snyder finally manages to complete the vision which he had originally. I suspect, perhaps with a little bit of help with hindsight, I feel like we definitely got his vision, maybe with a few tweaks, having known how the first one went down. I, I, just, I just don't believe he had all this in the chamber. I believe he had a, a hefty amount, a healthy amount, certainly, of footage which was shot and footage which he had planned, which he then got to shoot. I think he's done a bit of tweaking to to uh, meet with uh, fan reaction, though. There was definitely, for me, a lot more kind of hope in this cut than there has been in the previous Zack Snyder movies, in the Snyderverse, if you like, in the DC movies. And uh, for me, it was a lot more of a satisfying kind of uh, whole endeavor. I think there was a lot more which kind of explained where our heroes were all coming from. It didn't go into everyone's backstory, but it gave you a bit of an intro to each hero before they kind of got into the league. Because given that these a lot of these characters have not been introduced anywhere else, we kind of needed to get to know them, I felt, before we kind of put them into the action. And it was really surprising to me. I don't know if this was... Um, and by the way, before we mention the one we don't really like to mention from Buffy, uh, Joss Whedon, before we mention him too much, I, I just like to point out anything which I say is not related to him as a person. We all know he is a vile piece of shit. 
that is established. We will just take that as written. Anything I say is just to do with his cut of the Justice League, which probably isn't going to be that more favorable. But just in case I say something nice, it is not aimed at him only of the cut. But I don't think I'm going to say anything too nice about his cut because it was dog shit. I'm sorry, it made a mess. And suddenly seeing all the extra bits in there, it makes sense why it was a mess. Because it seems like they cut out whole chunks of backstory in favor of glib one-liners, which was standing in place of that. So even down to bits, which I thought I enjoyed when I originally watched it, like, um, just save one, you'll know not what to do with the rest, uh, Batman's a Flash. I thought I really liked that because it kind of seems like a sweet line. But now you see an actual backstory of the Flash and you put in context of other things we already saw in the original cut. Uh, the one thing we knew about him is he wanted to save people. That's the only thing we knew about him from the original cut. So actually having a line, just save one person, then you know what to do. No, he knows he wants to save people. That's the one thing we knew about him. So that line really doesn't make that much sense in hindsight. Instead, having shown him saving one already, which I think was probably like Whedon's idea of kind of encapsulating that down. I don't know if it was his idea to cut it down or if he just got a directorate from the studio, maybe that seeing as he was taking over, this is kind of coming towards four hours. We want it to be a lot shorter. Maybe it was under direction. I don't know. But certainly this seems to put heed to a lot of those kind of problems. And um, that's my opening style though. Anyway, uh, let's go over to, to Leroy. What, what were your feelings on the Snyder Cut? <laughs> I agree hundred um, percent. The Flash, just to go on that Flash point, was my least favorite character. Yeah, Flashpoint, like it. Flashpoint, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, was my least favorite character. There was no, there was nothing to him. He was just there for gags and to to land on Wonder Woman's boobs and feel awkward. And I was I had no interest in seeing a Flash movie with this Ezra, Ezra Miller. And now this this new cut, love it. Love what they did with him, how they built that backstory, how they gave him a real purpose. Seeing those powers when he smashes through the glass with just his finger, just showing exactly how strong he is by using the speed force. And how um, I saw some articles where people were kind of ragging on that scene, saying it was a bit creepy, it went on a bit too long while Iris was in the air. But I actually thought it was perfect because it was actually showing you how strong he was soon as he just got off the mark, he turned around, his trainer's ripped because he's so fast. The ground tears up, he bangs out of this glass window. And and he's so, if he, if he was to grab someone really quickly and put them on the floor, he'd probably pull them apart. So he has to take his time and be really tender and gentle with it. Um, so yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm all for this, this Snyder Cup, for sure. It was, and I 100% agree with what you say as well. It feels like, you know, it's lovely to have a little bit of hindsight and know what people don't like before you put something out. Yeah. Um, and it definitely felt like, um, <clears throat> regardless of, you know, we what, what people think of Whedon as such, um, it <coughs> definitely felt like someone lent on him and said, Zach's gone, can we make this a little more Marvel? And he tried to shoehorn that kind of, that Marvel universe into the DC universe, which doesn't work. They're two very different universes and very different heroes. And so, yeah, now I'm really happy to see this, this cut. It was a Snyder film though. Um, I yeah, loved it. I think you're right. Like they are two different universes. I haven't been that enamored with the DC movie universe up to this point. However, I felt they found a way keeping the kind of dark tone, which they do like in the DC universe, which I'm not against, 
but the characters felt different now like the my main problem with the original cut as well well one of my main problems was that all the heroes seem so homogenized here i've got a feeling differentiate differentiation like there was kind of like the thing that marvel does so well is giving each hero a different drive a different purpose a different thing they're going for Whereas it seemed like so far the DC universe just seemed to want to make everyone Batman, just a brooding Batman <laughs> character. Whereas Ezra Miller was a lot more hopeful, like he had a bit more purpose. You're totally right. I, I felt that a bit more this time. There was a total better drive for a cyborg. No wonder he was so pissed. He got cut out most of the movie. He had an yeah. actual story in there. I'd the be pretty pissed too if that was amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Sorry, uh, James. What are your thoughts going in? Yeah, I'm. I. I've been a critic of Zack Snyder generally. I think he has serious limitations as a director. I think visually he's fantastic and I think he's got a really good style. I think he struggles with telling a story, which is why I think his best work, things like 300 and Watchmen, when he's just taken a graphic novel that's got it all mapped out for him and he's used that as a storyboard, I think he can put excellent visuals to it. But I think he flounders a little bit if he's working with a less strong script. And having said that, though I think this cut does suffer from some of his worst indulgences, I think it's a really successful film. I think certainly compared to the original cut and... As Leroy said, I think, you know, we, we talk about Whedon and a lot of people were very unhappy with what he did, but he was put in a situation where they've said, you're going to cut this down to two hours and you've got to make it into a Marvel film, but you've only got a limited budget to do reshoots anyway. So he was not in a great position and the film suffered because of it. I think this is much truer to what it was meant to be. As you know, you guys have said, the story has time to breathe, maybe too much time to breathe, but that's another issue. And it works. You can see what they were trying to do. I think it's the most successful they could have done because there's other issues like you talked about, Squee. We've not been introduced to these characters properly. So this film's got to do an origin for The Flash, an origin for Cyborg. Then it's got to bring them all together. We've had a little bit for Wonder Woman, a little bit for Batman, quite a bit for Superman at this point. So the fact that it no manages... Man at this point. That, I know, yeah, yeah. Aquaman's origin as well. Yeah, but you don't get too much of that, which is kind of why I forgot. I think he's the one who's maybe least well-served in this version. I mean, it looks great and he walks in slow-mo a lot, which is fine, but I think maybe because they knew there was an Aquaman film coming up, you they don't seem to spend as much time with him, whereas I feel like The Flash and Cyborg really got almost an origin film of their own within it. And, yeah, I think, by and large, it's really, really successful. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to do. I thought it was going to be just a complete self-indulgent mess, and it's not. It's actually very coherent. I do, however, have some major issues with it, which I'm sure we can talk about later on, but I want to put it out there that overall, yeah, I think it's a very successful film, all things considered, because, you know, the story of this, you could write volumes on it. And and I'd just like to add, because you mentioned the kind of uh, vision of Zack Snyder, which I do love, he's very kind of cinematic, very lovely. I just wish he'd use a torch in a few scenes, just like a little more light. I just want a bit more light. 
<laughs> just like yeah he likes his dark colors i know leroy would love it i know he everyone else apart from me loves his it. blue acetate that he puts over the front of the single <laughs> camera and he goes now shoot and i love it <laughs> just all right i just felt i was squinting there. through some scenes <laughs> i wanted to pick up on kingy's comment where you talked about you know um cyborg and flash jumping into it is is it because momoa is just a, such a strong presence on that screen because he is a strong presence in this movie mm. he's a big strong powerful dude on film and in real life and i almost feel like we don't need it because we're just like there he is you know yeah <laughs> like, i think there's a lot of that yeah. and that was inspired casting because you know for decades people have made jokes about <laughs> aquaman and they go, right, how can we stop people making jokes about Aquaman? Cast that guy. Nobody's going to say a word. <laughs> yeah. you know, so. You're telling me you wouldn't have loved it if he was the outrageous Aquaman from, <laughs> from the cartoon. Oh, come on. Jason Momoa I would have had a good time with that. Jason Momoa can be whatever he wants, and I will not argue with him. So. <laughs> I'm just saying I would have loved that. But, um, yeah, the only thing I kind of missed, I'm kind of glad they got rid of just Whedon's kind of like, again, it's kind of just you know, like very goofy jokes. Like he tried to add a bit of Buffy humor to it when he did add in jokes. Like there was the bit where um, Aquaman accidentally sat on the last two, oh, whoops, and he just is making kind of like silly jokes. But I did wish they were just given like one scene or two where Jason Momoa had been able to show his comedic side, which he managed to do in the Aquaman film. I wasn't a huge fan of that film, but I did like a few moments where it was like, uh, he was kind of grumpy when they wanted to take a selfie. And then through a series of pictures, you just throw him getting drunk with them, which is kind of nice. Little, it just kind of worked very nicely. And he, he can really sell that kind of humor. Weirdly, the lasso scene, and I don't, I can't cite a reference for this, but that was claimed to be a Zack Snyder scene at one point. So I, like you, it seemed a very Whedon scene, but I recall Ooh. at the time because the film was getting mild praise for its lighter tone. And I remember there was sort of a fan backlash saying, oh, well, everyone's calling out this moment. And that was actually a Snyder scene. But I'm assuming that that was maybe overzealous fans because I would imagine that the Snyder said there's not a frame of Whedon's film in this cut, which I believe. And I would imagine that he's used the vast majority of the footage he did film because it, he wasn't. Yeah, I can't believe we can cut anything. Oh, sorry, I can't believe that Snyder cut anything of his. No, like, so what more could I mean, do? that may well be apocryphal, but I'm just putting it out there that that was claimed at some point, just so we don't disparage anyone's. God forbid we disparage Joss Whedon, you know, he's such a paragon. So enough about the piece of shit, though. Um, Paul G, uh, who is apparently tonight drinking from a very large hamster drinking vessel. <laughs> bottle, yeah, exactly. You should see the size of the hamster. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were the hamster. <laughs> I steady as both cheeks. Yeah, I was, I was. I was thoroughly impressed with this. It was everything I hoped for, um, and certainly in terms of effectively bookending the the, the three movies, um, I think it fits in beautifully with Man of Steel and Dawn of Justice in carrying the theme. Oh no, I enjoyed it. Yeah, because I know you're a huge fan of those films. But yeah, I I thought it. You know, it really captured the, the sort of like uh, the essence of those films. Yes, it is lighter. Yes, it is. Um, you know, it's so much better than the theatrical cut that you know you, you can barely compare the two. You know, it's, it's chalk and cheese. 
just the exploration of the characters, as you say, I think a good point as um, as Leroy said earlier with the with the whole Flash. It's it's not only just exploring his you know his powers and how his skills is. I think it's also how fast his mind works as well. The whole scene with like the hot dog, you can see he's he's you know he's not only moving fast, he's thinking fast. He's thinking about where he's going to be, you know, from now and how he's, he's already setting that up. Uh, and he's almost got like spare time to do that. That's that's the beauty of it. And he does that in a number of scenes. I think Wonder Woman in this film, I think, comes, you know, it's having seen Wonder Woman 84, which I think is a huge disappointment of a film. It's wonderful to see the the warrior, the Amazonian warrior. And she is so strong again, as she was in Dawn of Justice. You've got that character again. She, you know, she's powerful. You can believe she's 5,000 years old. She's she carries that that weight, that charisma, but also she's a skilled warrior as well. And and I don't know, I haven't watched the theatrical cut for some time, but she seems more brutal and more raw in this film. You know, the decapitation of Steppenwolf when in the old Bailey, when she's disposing of the terrorists, sort of thing. Yeah. They don't make it out of that. You know, there's blood stains on every wall, um, yeah. and that and that's so refreshing. Um, I... you see that that was one of the few things I rubbed against on this because I just I still want this is the way for me you differentiate your characters so you've got Batman who will do whatever it takes he can get a bit rough and ready he can't get bloody I like my Superman at, like unless he's being controlled by evil kryptonite or he's just come back from the dead which we'll get onto in a bit but apart from that I want my Superman and my Wonder Woman I want them to be the kind of like heroes who try and lift above that and like you can still give them obstacles for me it's the difference between two types of hero that you get and both i really love ones are ones which from are, are kind of uh, mirrors for ourselves so they find it really difficult they do do the wrong things sometimes but they're always kind of trying to do better but they're always on the side of good like like us they make mistakes and there's other ones which are just paragons they're things which we aspire to those heroes I saw Wonder Woman to be that. I didn't like her kind of uh, being that gory. I, I just, to me, that's what you've got Batman for. You can have that still. You don't have to take that from the film. But do we need Wonder Woman to be that? So while we're on that, uh, like, uh, Leroy, your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, she's a warrior princess, man. Um, and, and she's badass. And, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think this was great. And so as a... I am a comic book reader. And so I, th I find that a lot of the time people's um, views on their certain superheroes are very, you know, they'll go back to Christopher Reeve Superman, which is all very bright, very, very optimistic. And you, you, you're um, Wonder Woman. Um, oh, what's her name? <laughs> Linda, Linda Carter. Carter. The fantastic yeah. Linda Carter, you know. Um, and we sort of go back to that sort of childhood memory of these wonderful superheroes and the super friends and it's light and bright batman's always a bit dark still even 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 campy adam west there is you he's still in gray and dark and blue and he does one in one episode reference his parents being brutally murdered so like um you know in the in the comics these these heroes aren't as black and white as good or bad or there, there are like these lines that they now cross and that, that may be 
this this element of time that's come along and and how we're now sort of seeing these heroes so there is there is these blurred lines um the anti-hero is all all the rage these days um and so to see wonder woman be an amazon warrior and to take off his head and send that message across those dimensions and she she doesn't even have to do that she's he's like he's going through he's been beaten superman's blown off his horn and she's like no you're not bang off comes the head lands at dark side's feet and it's just that's just sending a message so yeah i kind of dig it i really do um and as for sort of broody superman now we were talking about hindsight being a wonderful thing and i'm reading so many different stories about what zack snyder had planned from day one and oh it would always be this and if i ever got to finish my justice league story superman would end up being this and i i do wonder if there is an element of this where man of steel comes out we we did get a pretty emo superman uh, living in a very grim, realistic world and coming to terms with the tragedy of his dad just deciding to off himself so so he wouldn't be exposed and all of this stuff. But, like, were we actually going to see an evolution of Superman come from emo kid Superman to the, the, the godlike leader of the Justice League, which is what Zach was saying he was going to give us? Now, hindsight's a wonderful thing, Zach. But um, I, yeah, I don't know because that was everyone's major problem with Man of Steel. It was that he was a bit too, you know, he wasn't like ah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying they have to be in tights and like underwear on the outside. I'm not saying it has to be that. I'm just saying. No, no, bring from my in. limited comic book. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I want the. Okay, I do want the underwear back, but like no tights. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm not saying that they can't have different shades of darkness, but. Like, am I wrong in saying that generally Superman and Wonder Woman are the more hopeful of the superheroes in the comics? From the, from the limited comics I've read, I've kind of read kind of a lot of the kind of key issues, I must admit, I'm not that deep bench. But are they not more tending towards the light than, say, a, super, than a, a Batman? Yeah, 100%. They, are, they do lean towards the light more. And I think they did in this film as well. Yeah. Um, but, but they will get their hands dirty and they will, like, Superman pounding into Steppenwolf at the end and just laser beaming the, the, the hell out of the guy, you know. He, he, they will they will get like damn dirt like that in the comics when when it when it matters when people's lives are at stake. So yeah, although you know Steppenwolf was technically being thrown through that vortex and she didn't have to take his head off, I suppose <laughs> it probably just felt good at the time. <laughs> If anything, it's, it's it's like Flash is your is almost your heading towards the light in this particular movie. He's the one that, um, but but you know the, the beauty of this movie was that the the Flash was um, he was much more developed. He was more confident in his skills and his abilities. They were already established um, compared to the first movie. Um, but it, but you know he, even then sort of thing. He is you know he is the one you wouldn't expect to take somebody's life easily. You know that's just it's just not. Barry, you know, Barry Allen's character. I'm so maybe somewhere in the middle on this one. Like, I, I totally get you guys' points, and I like the idea of Wonder Woman being more of a warrior and blah, blah. So, for that reason, I'm totally yeah. on board with cutting Steppenwolf's head off. That rings absolutely true for me, and I, I really like that. Um, I wasn't as keen on the bit in the bank because she's already defeated the guy, 
and then decides to do a armband thing and blow him up. And I, this is where I go back to my issues with Zack Snyder as a storyteller, because in one moment you have Wonder Woman, not an innocent guy, but a guy who was defeated and was no immediate threat and choosing to kill him when she could have just detained him. And then immediately you have a little girl saying, I want to be just like you. And that's too much of a clash between this adoration of a hero, but you've just witnessed that hero killing someone who was not an immediate threat. So I, I just think you get moments like that that just clash a little bit. So overall, I thought Wonder Woman was great, but that one scene where she kills the guy at the end of that fight and then it's compounded by the girl with this sort of sweetly looking up to a thing, I just don't think that works tonally. Superman, I I rewatched uh, Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman, and Man of Steel, yeah, gets a lot of stick for the emo-y type stuff, and there is an element of that, but I think there's a lot more optimism in that film than I initially thought there was, and I do think that film has aged better um, than some other ones. Batman vs Superman. I think the idea of exploring how would the world react to Superman and maybe not everyone would like him, I think that's fascinating, but I don't think it's explored as thoroughly as it should be. I think if you're going to tell that story, one, you need to do it in a bit more depth, and two, you also need as a viewer to know that Superman is good and virtuous, and I think... We didn't get that in that. They played it a little bit as, ooh, Superman's not sure of himself either. And I think that it just butted heads, the two ideas going there. However, in this film, I think this is Zack Snyder's best take on Superman. And I think, like Leroy was saying, I do think he did have an arc planned that Superman was going to go from not being the Superman we necessarily know and think of to getting to that point. And I do think he gets into that this that point in this film. Like I thought the sequence where you had his two dads effectively talking to him. I thought that was hair raising. That was absolutely brilliant. I mean, Russell Crowe, still not as good as Marlon Brando at delivering that kind of speech, but then, you know, probably not many people are. But I thought that was absolutely brilliant. It was undermined slightly and it's so nitpicky, but the black suit thing. And I know that that's from the comics and Superman wore it and so he could draw more power from the sun. And so there there is a precedent to that. However, in the film, that's not even given lip service. So it just feels like Zack Snyder going, you know what, that that suit's cooler when it's black. And maybe it is, but I think the fact that he's done this arc and got Superman to that point, it would have had so much more impact if the big reveal had been the classic costume that we all know and the symbol of how we usually see Superman. So I think the aesthetic choice of doing the black suit undermined it slightly, but the character work, I think, is the best that we've seen in the DCEU for Superman. So generally in favour, but still don't like Wonder Woman blowing the guy up. That's where I stand. And I think it's where you got a time lag. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, getting on to... Since you mentioned Superman, I love that bit where he's going... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I seem to be getting lag with you guys. Lag. <laughs> well, are you hearing me okay now? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's because it's like not Virgin Media. Like, I was going to say, with with uh, Superman, anyway, hopefully you'll hear this. Uh, I did think, I kind of, um, yeah, I love the bit where he's going through and he hears his two dads speaking to him. But my kind of point would be that I wish I'd kind of heard that from them a bit more when they were actually around. Like in, in yeah. both the characters, you've got Park Kent who just goes, yeah, if someone's got to die, they've got to die. Yeah. If, if with um, Jarrell, you've got... Um, you will, they will fear you like you're a god. How will they stop you? And then suddenly in these flashbacks, they're talking all hopefully. They've just picked out the few lines where they've said hopeful things, which they, they weren't like that when we saw them. I thought that was a little bit of bullshit, to be honest with you. But I, but again, for this film, it worked. It's like if you take it in isolation, for me, everything in this movie works. But if you look at what Superman was like when he was alive in this version of events, they're treating him like the hero we know from other versions of Superman which he hasn't kind of been up to this point in this uh, longer story. And I feel like, you know, uh, the same thing with Lois and um, Mark Kent, they minimize that story a bit more in this one. But you've still got the idea they're like besties when they really haven't shown that relationship. They haven't had that really long relationship with uh, Clark and with Lois. You haven't had that whole thing of Lois building up the relationship with Clark and with Superman and then finding out they're the same person. Straight away, she knows they're the same person. That takes that away. I think there's a lot of pathos they've ripped, which they now will kind of try and draw on in this film. Again, if you just ignore what's gone before and treat this as one film, uh, like, you know, with who we know Superman to be from lore, I love it, but I just don't think they've kind of earned it. But again, I loved it in isolation. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't agree with James. The terrorist guy was reloading to shoot all those people in the one. Hmm? Okay, okay, I would have to watch it again, Adam. Sorry, I do apologise. Um, if the guy was an immediate threat, I still think she could have probably disarmed him without blowing him up. But I will I will watch the movie again. Um, no, so sorry, I was saying, Squee, about what you were saying, how it was like a bit of a, a retcon, and some of the dialogue that they added into that sequence was recorded after the fact, so that wasn't spoken in the earlier right. film. And I think this cut does it less than the theatrical cut did. But you're quite right that there is this thing of the world's mourning from the death of Superman. And when you've just come off watching Batman versus Superman, you go, well, wait a minute, why are they mourning so long? You know, they didn't like him that much. So there's a bit of a, yeah, there's a bit of a retcon thing going on. But you know what? I'd rather a minor retcon to tell a better story than slavishly devoting yourself to it and writing yourself into a corner. I mean, if we're going to talk about retcons, the end of Batman versus Superman, we saw the soil rising up. Nothing about that. So, you know, let's just, it's fine. It's fine. To, um, to pick up on your point that you made about the suit, James, being black and yeah, kind of Superman coming out. And by the end of this, he's that. We're on the route to getting the, you know, the Superman that we all know and love as such. Do, do, do you think they made that choice? Because, I mean, yeah, it looks fantastic, the black suit. And the black suit is the suit that he came back with when he died in the comics. And so everyone has been like, we want the black suit, we want the black suit. This was in the comics. Do you think that was just a choice to, to make us comic book nerds happy? Uh, I think like so, a yeah. stylistic yeah. choice rather than a choice that worked with the movie? It's just like... It's definitely... Sorry, it was it was definitely a stylistic thing, and 
We know that because when they made the film, he was in the blue and red suit and they, they've digitally done it afterwards. And so, yeah, I think on one level, it's it's a nod to the comic fans. And I also think it fits the aesthetic better. I think it's just me that I would have, to me, the image of Superman emerging in the more of the classic suit would have had more impact. But I think the character work with Superman is that good in this film that it it doesn't undermine it to that extent. It is just a, a minor quibble that I've got. Hmm. We seem to have lost the way. Paul, you're in charge. <laughs> you had to take over. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel sort of like the character of Steppenwolf, sort of like the change between the two films sort of thing? Because now you had Darkseed, you know, was was effectively his boss, and you had Steppenwolf who now had a you know a lot of motivation for what he was doing. It just had, you know, what's your thoughts on that, Leroy? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic how they actually so as a comic book reader. Watching Justice League, I go, oh, great, Steppenwolf. Yeah, I know who he is. As uh, casual comic book or s- superhero movie fans, they're like, well, who's this guy? Like, he's, you know, he's one of the new world gods, but, like, no one no one really knows about that stuff. So he's not a big enough character to hold that movie. And then he's kind of, you know, he's down on earth trying to get these mother boxes and it's not really explained why he's here. He just might want to bring Darkseed here. Whereas this, this, the new Snyder cut fills it out completely. We're, we're, we're aware that he's been shamed. He tries to, he dared to go up against Darkseed and try and rise against him. And, and this is his punishment. He's now got to go and find the, uh-huh. the mother boxes. And then he comes across the, the anti, anti-life equations well, like, which is like a double bubble bonus. And he's constantly begging pretty much for forgiveness. And he's trying to get his, he's just like a lap dog, isn't he? He just wants his master to, <laughs> to, to be happy with him. And he's going to come and the, the look of fear and kind of, giddiness is like there's so many different emotions when when finally Duxy's like all right you find this and I'll come to earth and he's just like oh wow I've done it I've finally done it sort of thing so you know how many thousands of years has he been like been punished and <laughs> just been the whipping boy and you know it just gave him a just made him a sort of a worthy adversary because because we, we we sort of suddenly care about him you know we know and no, he's been through hell and back as such. And, particularly and... like the the idea of him being sort of this underling. You've got reinforced by the fact that the middle management guy keeps turning up and, you know, he might as well yeah, have yeah. a there. Like, so how's it going then? Are we, are we up to 15,000 worlds yet? No, no, no. Darkseid's not got time to talk to you now. You know, we want to see some serious results before we get to that yeah. stage. And it, yeah, it does give him so much more character. And again, that's, I think part of, like you're saying, you know, unless you know this guy from the comics, you you don't really get his importance and everything. And part of that, I think, is a lack of foresight with the planning on the part of Warner Brothers with how they put this universe together. It's like, you know, I know it's not the same thing, but you look at Marvel and they introduce Thanos in like a post-credit scene in the first Avengers. And the majority of people, I'm... I'm a comic book reader, but I'm not, you know, not as much as you are, Leroy, but 
uh, you know, I've read a fair bit, and I was still like, I kind of know who Thanos is, but I'm, I'm going to have to do some research. But Marvel did that and introduced it, and it allowed it to permeate through popular culture and for people to go back and read the comics. And so by the time you get to Infinity War, you know who he is. And yeah. I think if Warner Brothers had spent a bit more time planning and building it up, we probably wouldn't have had that problem. You know, it would have been the case that we would have had an idea who Steppenwolf is or certainly who Darkseid is. And you can see elements of that, that obviously Darkseid was going to be a bigger villain in the next film. And, you know, they were starting to do that. But the I think, again, this is another reason why the film's such a success is the fact that they haven't got all that groundwork, but they still managed to make it quite epic and to hit a lot of the right notes. So, hmm. Again, all things considered, it's a very impressive bit of work, really. I think I'll leave. Guys, can you hear me in real time? Yes. Yay! Okay, I'm going to jump in. So, speaking of the kind of the bad guys, if we take them as a kind of whole set. Oh, we've done that. I found. Yeah, fuck (laughs) (laughs) it. To me, it was the kind of uh, the look of them I want to pick a bone with, though. Like, I, I didn't mind the kind of setup of it, and uh, they brought in the kind of big bad this time, but I really just didn't feel a real presence of the bad guy for the, the look of it. To me, what they've done so well on on Thanos, like, over the time, they've managed to build him up, make him look better and better to the point when he's the bad guy in Endgame, then he's suddenly a lot more of a real character. You know, he looks like someone who's really there yes he's big and purple but like you get the impression there's a real physical thing there i just never got that feeling from any of that kind of whole crew of bad guys including um sorry i'm forgetting the names now i got so distracted by changing devices dark seed uh, dark seed I, I i don't know was there anyone else put off by this cgi on it i i think to a certain extent you have to you have to forget give the CGI for this because one, it's going to be done on a limited budget. Two, yeah. I think they went back to, my understanding is they went back to Weta, I think, who did the original computer models for this and sort of said, look, we, you know, we need to reshoot some of this. And they turned around and basically sort of said, look, we've moved on. The technology's moved on. We're going to have to take all the computer models you've got. We're going to have to redo them um, and import them into the new gaming, you know, basically the new graphics engine to actually generate this stuff. So I think in terms of if, you, if you're comparing like Thanos and the post-production and the modelling that you can do on that to what Snyder's had to work with on this in terms of budget, um, it's always going to look like, you know, something done with a Quake 3 engine, um, unfortunately. And But, but I, I can I can live with that to a certain extent. It was more the introduction of the character was was far more important than the actual I'm just saying, on everything look. else in this movie, they're shitting money all over the place. You can see money in every frame of every reshoot. But no, CGI, no, then we're going to screw oh, Come on. But, but the thing is, though, that I don't think there were as many reshoots as people think they were. Exactly. I think the majority of the reshoots were what we see in the epilogue. Um, so what he probably had to work with was stuff from his rough assembly cut so his footage that he'd filmed, which will be all the live action stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of the stuff with Darkseid, the majority of the stuff with Steppenwolf, has been created solely in a computer on the budget that they've afforded them for this second round of post-production. So 
it's not gonna come up to measure with a normal Hollywood blockbuster and things like you're talking about Thanos. That was done. They had um, Josh Brolin there in mocap, uh, interacting with a lot of the actors. I really don't think that would be the case. I think that would have been far too expensive for what Warner Brothers were willing to pay to get this cut out. So I think they will. Uh, it will just be purely in a computer without necessarily any reference points. So, I mean, some of it does look dodgy, but I've seen dodgy special effects in a film. That's true that's gone straight to the cinema and has had all its post-production time and not had the checkered history that this one does. So, yeah, I can I can let some iffy CGI go, to be honest. Fair so, enough. I mean, I think that it was also just building on the fact that, to me, I was already not as, not as invested in the bad guys. Like, I think this cut does a lot to flesh out the good guys and why we care about them and why when Batman says they've never faced us united... I actually gave a shit when he said this that line this time. First time around, not so much. I was like, yeah, but are you really? You've kind of just fallen together and you kind of just get like going through the motions, but I'm not feeling that united. When he said it this time, I'm like, fuck yeah, they're united. Oh, yeah. Whereas with the bad guys, it was like, we're after some boxes because if you put the three boxes together, they become one box. And there's also, there's a magic world code and just stuff, believe us. Just we're bad guys, all right? We're going to end the world. Just Just trust us on this one. And I didn't feel that same investment in the bad guy as I did in the good guys. I didn't think they were fleshed out. So when the CGI was a little bit dodgy, I was like, I'm already not caring about you that much. If you look a bit fake as well, that's going to add to my lack of, of care, I guess, was the the thing which kind of drove that for me. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Or is it just kind of like I have to suck it up when it comes to the... Did you did you really feel the... I might have missed some of it because I was trying to switch from my iPad to my mobile phone. I'll be on like a little fucking iPod shuffle soon. But anyway, <laughs> what were your thoughts? And like, did you feel like the bad guy's impetus was good enough? The reason why they were doing this? Yeah, suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we did say about that. So yeah, Steppenwolf in, in this cut and Squee is frozen now, hasn't he? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, as soon as I told him to suck it up, he's like... Exactly. <laughs> you're done. You're done. We, we killed him. <laughs> um, yeah, if, if you can hear us, um, we were saying, you know, Steppenwolf's, his, his whole reason for being there now is, you know, it is a focus and we know why he's there and he just wants to please his master and Squee's gone. <laughs> He's back, me! Hey. Oh, he's oh, on the iPod God. shuffle now. Oh, it's, it's Dr. Squee, the Snyder Cut. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's going to have so much fun editing this. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least he's got four years before we release Oh, be there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we get the perfect cut out. In Sorry. Look, if you listen to this on radio, you're probably just going to be putting up with a lot of this. I've got like 24 hours to edit this together. <laughs> anyway. Leroy, I'm just going to assume you agreed with everything I said. We'll just move on. Uh, we've got a question from Adam Livingstone. Oh, we've had that. We've had that. We've that one. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Oh, shit, that's the wrong one. No, from, uh, from Chrissy Woods. What were your views on the Justice League soundtrack uh, from Snyder Cat? I thought it was oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, thought it was excellent. Anyone else? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was brilliant. Sort of thing. And I thought it was nice, certainly, to bring back in the um sort of like the the score or elements of the score from the man of steel as well yes. when you had those superman movement it really made it it sort of tied it into that film and it really felt like 
yep, Superman's back. He's he's doing his thing. So, thought they overdid the Wonder Woman. And even though it tied into that film, it didn't ruin it for me. Like, not not the not the Wonder Woman guitar riff, which is awesome, but the this new sort of choral thing that they did. I thought they did that a few too many times. Um, not sure about some of the music choices. And, you know, I love Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but there were at least two Nick Cave tracks in the film. And I'm just not sure they necessarily worked. Aquaman's little choir that follows him around and sings when he jumps yes. in the water. <laughs> really not sure. Do you know why going. they follow him around? It's so they can hide T-shirts for him to find, to put on <laughs> when he's torn off one before he goes into the water. That's why he always appears with one on. <laughs> well, no, it's because he goes and picks it back up again. He don't want people throwing rubbish in the water. You know, that's his whole thing. So, you know, he obviously goes and retrieves no, it. No, 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 no. This is before. Okay. No, sorry. James, this is before the Aquaman movie. So he doesn't give a shit about pollution. He has to get his mission in the next movie. Now he's just littering left, right, and center. He'll care about Fair it. Later. Enough. But yeah, he's got what I wanted to do. And, you know, I know it's a four hour film anyway. I could have done with a couple of extra minutes just after Aquaman's jumps in the water and Bruce Wayne's still there with the choir. Just them standing there like, well, this is awkward. So <laughs> do, you, do you guys always follow Aquaman around and sing when he goes through? Oh, yeah, that's what we do. I did just like to have seen how that played out. I could just imagine them going on a speedboat across the water, like wherever Aquaman's swimming, like they're trying to get there in time. So when he lands, like, ah, da, 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 da. yeah. And the, um, the weird um, sniff of the jumper right at the end as well, which is like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did want to talk epilogue before we kind of uh, get to the end of our hour because, um, yeah, I just could have done without it. I, d- I thought, like, it just seemed very. I was really loving it. I'd kind of felt they'd made up for a lot of the things I didn't like from the original cut. I didn't think it was perfect by any means, but I was so on board. I thought I was so engaged all the way through. Even things I didn't like, like that's just a matter of opinion. It didn't feel like it ever lagged in the movie. And then you've got this really long, and it felt very pointless epilogue. Okay, yes, it was good to see Jared Leto Leto actually play a version of the Joker as opposed to whatever the fuck he was doing before. That was nice. But other than that, did we need this kind of little extra bit? I think it should have just ended where the original cut ended. Then we cut to um, the Martian Manhunter in a credit scene where it, apparently Bruce Wayne's just woken up. It's like, yeah, fine, just join the Justice League. Fuck it. So I said, and I quite enjoyed that scene, but it did seem like just he just woken Batman up. It's like, fine, just another hero. Go on, go, go for it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of the epilogue? Um to go to the Marsh, uh, Martian Manhunter part, I don't think we needed him mid, mid-film mid pretending to be Mark Kent. Um, it would have been nicer to have had that as a Mark Kent and Lois scene. Um, and and then we get the, the reveal of Manhunter at the end. Epilogue, I would have liked to have maybe seen that somewhere in the movie, um, as it was in... Uh, BVS like so it's you know it is a vision it's not just like Bruce is having a drink right at the end of the film and it's sort of crowbarred in you know because even at some point in the film he alludes to the 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 vision with Barry so that they could have actually had it as a as a sort of 
right in the middle of the film, I think. A little bit too long, agreed. It was for, for to give Leto a, let a, a chance to be Joker, in my opinion. I've seen posts saying that he's the greatest Joker ever, and that was brilliant. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, but he was all right. Um, he was certainly better than he was in Suicide Squad. And I don't blame him, um, and I don't blame him on this one. I think he could be a good Joker if he drops that ridiculous laugh that isn't a laugh. The, the you know, they're talking about having a reach around on Bruce and stuff. Um, I just I, the, the, some of that interaction was really cool. You know, there was there's there's your point, Snyder, where you can cut some stuff out. <laughs> um, just. just pull that rein that in you know but having batman drop an f-bomb and tell joker that he's promised harley he's gonna fucking kill him was like if batman's ever gonna swear that's the one time that we're gonna get that there was a couple of other f-bombs in it like with um cyborgs like fuck the world and that that to me was a little jarring it was a little oh but that that f-bomb from batman right at the end was like if anyone's ever going to kill the Joker, it's going to be me and I'm going to do it. And yeah, so I, that ragtag team was quite cool. The whole, again, this, all this is, is basically Snyder going, if I stick this on the end, it's <laughs> basically lining up Justice League two and three because we, we see, I mean, if you've taken the still shot, it's, it's Lois burnt to a crisp in Superman's arms in the Batcave. There's the Robin suit is behind behind them. And and then there's been some interviews where Snyder says, well, we would have looked at, you know, these alternate realities and Batman should have jumped in front and saved Lois, but he didn't. And this is why Superman's really sort of mad now and stuff. So there, there's, this is basically Snyder's way of going, let's get some hashtags going, people. <laughs> there are. Yeah, but it was a little long for my my liking and no he is not the joker not yet <laughs> i'm very of a very similar mindset to you on it i think the the things that are within that episode, so like when i'm talking about the epilogue i'm talking about from the moment where superman rips open his shirt to reveal the s which is where the film probably should have ended um i think everything <laughs> after that feels superfluous it doesn't feel like it should be in the film and if this film had been made under any other circumstances and released in any other fashion it wouldn't have happened like this it just feels really undisciplined it's in terms of filmmaking because it just doesn't flow it stops the film dead the fact that they put in what was the first credit scene of Lex Luthor in the original but it just follows straight on from it as though it's another normal scene in the film. And it's not. It's clearly designed to be something else, whether that's an after credit scene, a mid credit scene, whatever. It just doesn't work within the body of the film. The nightmare sequence, like you say, Leroy, there's a load of great stuff in there, but it doesn't feel like that's where it belongs. Maybe, like you say, put it in earlier on, scatter it throughout the film you know what, just release it as a DVD extra, release it as a short film, you know, Zack Snyder's Nightmare, you know, with a K, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. Put it in trim down as well. But it, yeah, but it, it doesn't belong where he's put it in this film. And any editor 
would have sorted that out and would have said, no, they, you need to find another way of using this footage. But because there's been so much controversy and build-up to it, I think they've just said, just, just you do you. You've got final cut on the film. If you want to put that there, that's absolutely fine. But unfortunately, I think it does rob the film of some of its momentum and to still have any momentum after three hours, 40 minutes is pretty good. But it it, un, it feels like it undoes some of the good work. It leaves a bit of a, a sour note. The Martian Manhunter scene, again, is fine. There's some weird dialogue in it, though. It's like the Martian Manhunter sort of goes, I am known by many names. And he clearly wants Batman to go, ooh, tell me those names. But he doesn't. And then so at the end of the scene, he goes, oh, by the way, one of my names is Martian Manhunter. <laughs> he was not bothered, Manhunter. He wants to go back to bed. But... <laughs> And the, yeah, the fact having oh, oh, you're not going to ask me. Um, well, I mean, I could tell you them if you want to know. They're really good names. Go on, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, you'd love them. I mean, you know, if you're curious. I suppose the the cool thing is when we first got our first ever Justice League teaser poster back in 2015 or whenever it was, it said "Unite the Seven because Green Lantern were meant to be in it, and he wasn't. So finally, we get the seventh right at the end. So very nice. But yeah, it's fine for what it is. And I think this is the thing. This is why it would also really set it, set it up so much better to get us invested in the idea of a sequel because you've got Martian Manhunter kind of suggested. You've got the Green Lantern cause been put in there. So there's a suggestion of a kind of an ongoing story as well as a much more satisfying story for the heroes we've got and more reason for them all to be there. Uh, your thoughts on the epilogue, Mr. G? Yeah, I mean, there's not a huge amount to add to what's already been said. Yes, I, I agree it should be in the film as opposed to at the end of the film. But the, the elements I did like about it was, was things like um, the Joker with all his police badges on the front, almost like trophies sort of thing of, of the number of police that he's killed, murdered, taken down. Um, yeah, Barry Allen's um, armour. The sort of thing, easy, but but it's it's clearly there as a yes. If if you know, basically, if there is going to be a continuation of the Snyderverse and there's going to be Justice League two and three, this is what you would have won. That kind of thing. This is where we're going with this <laughs> this, this film. A same Lex Luthor. Yeah, sort of thing. But I mean, and also the Lex Luthor scene. That was you know that was nicely done. The focus was on Batman as opposed to creating a league of their own in this. So I thought that was that was better. And, you know, and, and also the fact that you had, um, is it Deathstroke sort of thing, you know, as part of the team. And he's got the mohawk as well sort of thing, which I think is like a nod to the fact that he's he knows he's going into battle and he knows he's not coming out of battle. <laughs> sort of thing, you know, it's, it's a one-way trip. So there, there, was, there was lots of little elements in it that were quite nice. But as you say, I think it would be better if it had yeah. been in the middle of the film so yeah and uh, with lex luther i just felt this was the kind of lex luther i was hoping to get in the first place the more um it's like um jesse eisenberg in the social network i wanted that kind of like um like he's too clever for the room he thought he's better but instead he was like oh i'm lex luther and he was trying to joker up lex luther and it just was weird and it just did not work and i did not like it and this was the kind of like version which i thought he was going to do going in and oh, I don't know. Again, it just seems like more promise that uh, I think that scene would have worked pretty well as a teaser, as opposed to the epilogue, which, as you go, we've all said it's kind of too long. 
and misplaced here at the end. A kind of cut down on it, a bit of it earlier on in the film, I think would have uh, fit in very nicely. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to quickly bring in was um, Kevin Smith said on uh, That Man Beyond this week that he had spoken to Zack Snyder and he had said about with the story with Robin, there was a story he wanted to bring in whereby the reason why he'd got killed in this version was that he got killed by the Joker at Wayne Manor and they burnt it to the ground. And it was because in this version, Batman had been going, it's like, oh, you're not man enough to take on the Joker. Basically goading the boy Wonder, which seemed pretty prickish. I know Bruce Wayne slash Batman can be a prick, but like pretty much setting him up to, to get himself killed by going, yeah, you're not man enough, you're not man enough, sort of makes Batman a bully, which I'm kind of not too in favour of, Very but that's why I end up... Yeah, but Frank Miller, but just, I don't know, Frank Miller's good at saying... In the comics, I have read some comics when, when Bruce Wayne is an out-and-out dick to Robin, but he's never kind of... I don't know how to describe it. It just doesn't feel like a bully. It feels like a prick of a dad who's just being an asshole to his adopted son and never being fair to him. But I never feel bully. When I heard this description, I just thought, that's a bully there. And I do not, ne- you know, of all the things you can make your heroes or your, you know, make them anti-heroes this level up, Leo was saying, I love all that, but just never make them a bully. I, I, hmm. What do you guys think of that kind of idea that didn't end up playing out here? Mm. I I wonder if there's you know there's there's two ways you can read a text message or or be sent a message and you could always read one in a negative or a positive light. So where if they're saying, well, there's the talk of like he was saying you're not man enough. Whether that's you know he's got a they've kind of done a a mixture of probably Dick Grayson and uh, Jason Todd. And so probably mashed up the two Robins in their mind together. And you've got Batman. You've probably got like a really impatient Robin. And you've got Batman saying, no, no, you're, you're not. You're not ready. You're, you're not there yet, pal. You're, you're still a kid. You're not. You can't take on it, the, the Joker. You're not man enough yet. Don't, don't, don't sort of run before you can walk. Oh, there's the way he's going. <laughs> You'll never be a man unless you can take him down. You're definitely not man enough. Not like me, pal. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's two ways yeah. to kind of almost mm-hmm. take that, isn't there? So um, I guess unless we get those hashtags going for Justice League Two, <laughs> we, we'll. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. Apparently, um, DC have made it very clear that uh, this is not the official cut. They're sticking firmly to the just reading cut because, of course, if this version's a lot more popular and doesn't involve you know, a guy who's been kind of suggested to be a little bit rapey, let's stick with their, their cat as opposed to this guy who everyone's now applauding and they love their cat. Because why wouldn't you? They're going to reset it all with the next Flash film, so it's, it's not going to matter. It's going to multiverse it all so that they can all have happened and it's all fine. And that's kind of my thoughts on the, the Robin thing. I think by choosing to have a Batman anyway, that's, look. Already, uh, that's already had a 20-year career, it creates a space for the viewer, the reader, whoever, to go, you know what, if I choose to think that this Batman was the Michael Keaton Batman, it, can, it, it could have been him. If I choose to believe that this Batman did all the things that I read from Frank Miller's comic books, it could be that, it could be... 
from you know the Silver Age comic books, the Golden Age comic books. I think I don't think we'd have ever got a definitive answer on what happened with Robin and um, the Joker. I think you just meant to fill in the blanks yourself. And Snyder might have had something in his head as, you know, this is my take on it, but I I don't think we'd have seen it on screen, to be honest. I think it's just choose your own adventure, fill your own story in. So. Fair enough. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to give uh, Mr. G a right to reply on that. Uh, we have run out of time uh, because I've got to fit this into my radio show. But guys, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Please, everyone who's watching this, if you didn't enjoy this, don't worry. In about four years' time, we're going to come out with a squeeze cut, which is going to be three hours longer. It's going to be much better. My internet's going to be reliable. It'll be wonderful. And there you have it. Our Justice League Snyder Cut, or Zack Snyder's Justice League, as I believe you're officially meant to call it, conversation with Mr. James King, Lovelock Leroy Rodriguez, and, of course, Papa Bear Paul G. We'd like to thank them all for joining us this week. We've got more guests. We are packed with guests this week. That's why we haven't got a big question of the week. So uh, in a minute, we're going to go over to my conversation with my co-star and uh, one of the writers and directors behind Forza Crowd, a wonderful sitcom, which I'm uh, honoured to be a part of the cast of. But before that, let's hear another tune. This is by Kylie Minogue, and this is Magic. Just a fun one. doesn't know about the uh, sitcom which I'm in. It's called Forza Crowd. It's about an English narrator and some goons from America who, who sometimes pop up as well. Look, we're going to talk all about it. Please welcome one of the stars of Forza Crowd, Jeff Feitner. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And one of the writers and directors, Zach. How are you doing, sir? Hello. Zach Raw. I, I have to say that was one hell of an intro. Yes. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I, I think I got the main thing about the uh, the sitcom, but look, Zach, since you're here and you're one of the writers and directors, do you maybe want to give a slightly more detailed, some may say more accurate, you know, a description of what Force Crowd's about? Oh boy, wow. Let me um, let me rack the brain on this one because it's been so many things now that we're <laughs> a year into this. Um, you know, Force a Crowd was was really kind of this inspiration um, through Ryan. And then, and then myself to to take a sitcom and then Brian R.L. Terry, who's our, our creator, of show creator, yes, um, to take a sitcom and then turn it into a podcast because he, for years, has been wanting to do an actual sitcom, wanted to like do a TV pilot and things like that, but you know that requires oodles of money that uh, you know hard to access. So we had this kind of perfect opportunity to do something during the lockdown and give us purpose through it, which was, let's turn the sitcom into a podcast. So we really follow, um, you know, four of our main friends, five if you want to count, uh, Miss Halverson, uh, in these kind of crazy, wild antics of just almost, <laughs> you know, unbelievable scenarios that our friends get themselves into. And yet somehow at the end of every episode, they, you know, they kind of you know, grow a little bit closer and, you know, better friends and family as it goes along. But yeah. 
what I've really enjoyed about it is, uh, like I think you've said something there, which is kind of quite uh, germane, is the fact that it started off as one thing. It's kind of evolved a bit because it was kind of pitched to us as a coming of age, uh, dating in their 30s kind of thing. But I think kind of uh, the uh, natural character development and the kind of just, just wacky fun nature of it has kind of really come to the fore as well, both in equal measure. Uh, Jeff, tell us a bit about your cam your character, your, your Cameron. <laughs> so... I actually auditioned to be the narrator. Um, and Ooh. and this is like, you know, it, it was part of a... Th <laughs> so I, I'm sort of hyper aware about, you know, identity and whatnot because one of my children is, is uh, trans. So so it becomes something that, you, you know, you, you're aware of, right? And reading the script, and I, I desperately was seeking an opportunity to at least try to voice act or at least get through the uh, audition pieces, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that process, just to see what I could do. And the only character which I could comfortably say I, I can do this without any question about it, right, um, was the narrator because there's no suggestion of any kind of, of gender or uh, whatever. Um, obviously... Uh, British narrator somehow works better. I don't understand. I'm still offended by that. But um, <laughs> I was, I was invited to audition for Cameron, and I was like, okay, if you're okay with that, creator Ryan and, and writers and producer Danny, um, okay. I mean, if it's cool, you know, because that was important to me. But if it's okay, I, I can do it. Sure. And and Cameron is a, I think he's the younger of the couple, if I remember right between Cameron and Bradley when they um I when, think so I that's <laughs> we're really gonna show up how well we know our characters here that's all. <laughs> well it it's been a long year that was the other weird thing about like I'm not 30 <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> you know um but but Cameron's like and it, it the evolution from like how he was described in the initial character write-ups and what he's grown into in the show like um first of all he more often than not he ends up being the voice of reason I, like, yeah oh, i i thought you were going to refer to something there because you said about him changing since the pilot i remember you're a fiery latino in the right. pilot script right. and right. there was a lot of talk about maybe we shouldn't maybe like you know i know ryan kind of um i do appreciate the fact that he thinks about this and there's kind of like maybe thought of um well like obviously we have to put ourselves in the headspace of we don't want to offend anyone we don't want to go yeah. there but at the same There's time a lot of discussion behind the scenes yeah with sitcoms you also want to be able to kick the ties of kind of what's um things acceptable and kind of uh, pushing things in a different direction and everything so kind of we had towards not doing that in the end but it was kind of really interesting that uh yeah for a while it's like is is he going to be a fire latino <laughs> do we want to go there i'm kind of glad we didn't i've got to be honest with you <laughs> yeah definitely um but Cameron somehow, um, I, I I appreciate that opportunity. Like Cameron ends up being the voice of reason more often than not. He talked, you know, he talks Dylan through his gambling addiction and help in that. And there, there are, there are, they're not long, but it's almost like these soliloquies or diatribes on on doing the right thing or closing out the story, right? And that's. I don't know why it's not like I asked for it, but every time there's one of those scenes, you know, like telling, I, I can't remember except for the Dylan there's or later ones with Bradley or something um, about, you know, kind of closing the story, right? Like it 
Cameron's the one that that makes everything okay somehow. Mm-hmm. And just yep. settles me so well. And also, I'm a sailor. So, like, um, I cuss a lot. I swear all the fucking time. I hope you <laughs> hey on your live show, by the way. No, we're not allowed to swear. Could you? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but, like, Zach, particularly Zach, always writes in a little something special for me so I can, you know, have yeah. it. <laughs> you know why? Because all the nice boys love a sailor. <laughs> yeah I, I i really love um how cameron has developed too and i just noticed you know because with with cameron's character kind of like we were saying you know it it wasn't your voice matched cameron because we weren't necessarily looking for anything too you know out there or extreme for a representation i know in the beginning of the series we kind of messed with you know do we want to represent you know, his sexuality in a certain way or stuff like that. But I think over time, we just naturally fell into this as Cameron. And then he he is this moral center because yeah. everyone else is so wacky and wild. You know, you have Mrs. H coming in doing whatever. Bradley is a drama queen. And, you know, and then <laughs> Dylan and Allison are, are their own little vessel. So then, you know, Cameron ends up really kind of being the voice of reason most of the time, just usually the smartest one in the room. I think there's something really interesting about that because Alison, where she is an advice um, talk show host, right. I think kind of it's nice to play on that, that she is actually the one who often struggles with things more than anyone else. And right. with uh, with Jeff's character, I love the idea that Cameron, he is someone who's trying to figure out who he is, but along the way, he can tell anyone else who anyone else is. He just can't tell himself who he is, which I love that right. kind of juxtaposition kind of thing, which you guys have brought up more and more as the scripts have gone on. Was that kind of something you consciously did those kind of um, reversals? There was there was a cognitive part effort, I should say, to really, as I got more comfortable with the characters, to to push us and deepen the characters. You know, how do we get past like the low hanging fruit of jokes and like get into characters that really are going to represent something? And that was the thing I noticed that we could do with Cameron and then also just like with Allison and just tell these stories to, you know, almost in a way of just like commenting on like how we all function in society how who are we as people behind you know the social media handles our friends our 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 world what are we dealing with because i don't think we have enough conversation around the fact that you know people aren't perfect we're all struggling we're all trying to do the right thing hopefully you know and and you know what does that mean so i think telling those stories through the characters um is something I hope we continue to do, you know, and it's something I think has made the show a lot richer and a lot deeper because of it. Well, let's go through like uh, all the characters so we can give people an idea of the, of the show. So obviously behind the scenes, we've got uh, Danny is our producer. Right. Uh, Ryan is uh, our alter, he's our creator. Uh, mm-hmm. You're like, you take it in turns to do the scripts each, which we'll get into a bit more and yeah. directing every other script, but with the characters. So like we've got, um, so we've already said about Cameron, uh, Dylan, I, I love it. He is the ultimate. Um, I think he's described, and I'm just quoting the script here as a fuckboy quite often, but it's like he is, he's actually the reverse of, uh, in, in British sitcoms, we've kind of got this uh, very kind of like um, the stereotype of the tart with a heart. He's just kind of like a, a woman who will go out, they maybe be very sexual act- sexually active, but actually as a heart gold is kind of like uh, more than people kind of uh, put on them. A bit like Ros and Frasier kind of thing. 
I feel like Cameron's that. Oh, sorry, not Cameron. Sorry, Dylan's that. He kind of like uh, is so sexually active, so sexually experimentally experimental and open. But he's actually just a really nice guy. He's just happy with who he is. He isn't scared to say who he is at all. Uh, talk to us a bit about kind of that character. Um, well, I I, I, I got to admit, and and this is no shade to anyone else. Um, I would say Dylan is probably the easiest and and arguably the most funny character I can write for on the show, just because it's just so easy to toss him a joke. It's so yeah, yeah. easy to do that. Whereas everyone else, I have to like take three extra steps to get to the same level. So, um, but with, with Dylan, he really, as you were saying, he does have a heart of gold. And I think that in a way also makes the writing easier because it's like, okay, what is Dylan going to do? That's wacky. And like, you know, puts him in a scenario, but then it's that juxtaposition of, what is funny isn't so much the the insane thing he's doing. It's the way he'll come back and then somehow be, you know, a moral, you know, moment in the show. You know, he'll he'll do so. He'll be like, "Wow, I just like had sex with half the town, but how dare you do this?" Like, it's, <laughs> it's just it's perfect. So, um, lost my train of thought. I apologize, but yeah. But Dylan is 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 this really deep, you know, surprisingly deep character who who I think shines through in such a such a humble way. And and it's just such a joy to you know to have in the show. I, it's funny in the beginning when we were writing him, I think there was a lot of ideas to just make sure that he fit this one box of just he's going to go out, he's going to have sex, and then the punchline is the sex. But then noticing early on, I was like, no, the jokes really can be the fact that, you know, there's a, there's a whole person to him. Yeah, I I love the fact that you can do this thing of. Uh... I, I love the fact that the the fact that he's sexually active is ne like it's the it's the punchline of the joke between them, but you never kind of put the guilt on the fact that he's uh, like he's happy with the sexuality, he's happy with being sexual. That's never the ultimate punchline. No even though, it's, yeah, it's made to taking the piss out of it. That's how it should be. But like, why on the wider level, it's not shamed that he's he's sexual. So Jeff, it, to talk to us a bit about your kind of experiences with that playing off with Dylan. Yeah. So <laughs> there's there's like some deep personality studies in each of these characters, right? Like if Karen's the voice of reason for everybody but himself and Allie can talk to or yeah, right? Yeah, Allison, Jesus. Um can talk <laughs> to um people on the radio but can't handle her own shit, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's very real. You know, I, I experience it all the time. That's kind of why like cam somehow cameron and i are becoming the same person um but dylan there's a truth there's like that character he knows who he is and is unabashedly who he is and is able to and that's why like once you establish that yes he's an absolute fuck boy yeah <laughs> but also like when he comes back around and goes oh by the way um we got all these gifts for christmas Right. Like that, that's the kind of, you know, he's such a good person and he knows exactly who he is. And somehow that works as a counter sort of a foil, if you will, to the other characters who are because the only shit that he has are, is like the real shit. Right. Like gambling. Um, and somehow that that played it plays so well against the other characters. Right. Yeah. And, and Chase does an amazing yeah, job. him And. Uh, I didn't realize that his Dylan voice was such a voice until I had him act in another show. Um, and I was like, huh, 
he doesn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's when he's doing his, his normal voice between kind of takes, and I'm like, oh shit! It just makes you jump back. Like, uh, it's such a good voice. It doesn't sound like a voice. It's so uh, naturally him by the sound. He's really been able to. Um, Chase has really been able to to get that. I don't want to say nasally, you know, kind of kind of tone down, but there is something he does with yeah. his pronunciation that, excuse me, that's Dylan, you know, and and, and yep. it the mark every time again also why i think it's been it's been fairly easy um to write dylan scenes because it's like i know whatever i throw at him it's, it's going to kind of just somehow in the reaction it's going to be funny and i and i also wanted to add too uh, before we move on to other characters i think one of the the funniest episodes we've done with uh dylan kind of having like this you know just this is him this is who he is is the uh roosters episode where he tries to open the restaurant with Cameron. Yeah. Because what I love about all of that is that through it all, Dylan's the one with the ideas. He's the one trying to make this work. <laughs> and yet it's still absurd. There's there's dildo cups and and he's like, what's the problem with any of this? <laughs> and by the way, for anyone who isn't familiar with the sitcom yet, we do hope you check it out. But um, it is obviously very family friendly. I hope you're picking up on that vibe. <laughs> I, I mean, okay. Depending on the age of your family, <laughs> I, I've always I've always argued. You know, when I try to pitch the show to people who might be unsure, I'm always like, you know, we're it's a sitcom, but we're kind of like the Family Guy of sitcoms. <laughs> like the, yeah. the jokes we go for is is you know uh, you know a lot of farts and sex and and stuff like that. But then there's also really wholesome, deep statements in this show too. So I'd, I'd argue it balances itself out, or at least I hope so. <laughs> um. Let's move on to Bradley now. So uh, Bradley and Cameron, at the beginning of our show, they're in a relationship and they're just splitting up, basically. Well, one of them thinks they're proposing, the other one is pretty much breaking up. Uh, and that kind of is the catalyst for our show. Uh, I, I just love the idea. Uh, Bradley's neurotic as hell, but like behind it, when he actually calms down and takes a breath, he's the nicest guy. Um, yeah, to, tell us a bit about that. Jeff, you go first, like as, as a lot of your scenes are together. Uh <laughs> There are moments where, I mean, Max does, I, I can't explain how good and easy it is. Like, every, we don't have a lot of these conversations in character, right? But every once in a while, we have these arguments. <laughs> and, and there are moments where, like, when we get into it and it just pops off, like, it feels real, right? You know, when you when you let go enough and you can actually just emote and get through the words, and if you know the words good enough, and then you're just... I, I, you know, I'm not acting. I'm having an argument with Bradley because he's an asshole right now, right? And Max is able to bounce, you know, and reflect. So just, and just, to, just to bring out my inner Bradley well enough, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, As you were. <laughs> so to, to get to the character, Max first is able to um, bring that character to life and make it real um but but max is is just a, a bundle of nerd or max bradley is a bundle of anxiety and all of these all of these uh expectations of life right are weighing on him constantly and every choice that he tries to make is is in furtherance of these goals and he's just thwarted time and time again but more often than not by his own actions it, it, it's like he's yeah. a He's a Greek tragedy all rolled up into his own little <laughs> bubble of, of anxiety. And 
and uh, self-worth, right? Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, at the end of the day, every one of these characters is a good person. The things that they're trying to do are good and wholesome. They're just, it, it's, it's, a, it's again, it's a study in, in like socio-normative behavior and what, what it means to be successful and, and uh, yeah. But anyway, I, I, I can't say, and I appreciate the arguments, like when they're written in and we get to have those moments where all of the, the drama of the former relationship get poured into it and we just get to yell back and forth. <laughs> like, uh, it's so good. So good. So good. And I think also it's kind of, uh, it's really interesting. You kind of uh, hear on something there that he's uh, like the, the character always trying for the stuff, which he kind of like, just doesn't quite kind of nail. It just reminds me, it's almost like he's Frasier or Niles from that, from Frasier, but without the money, which in of itself kind of creates an atmosphere. It's like, he's got this kind of reach for this kind of high society living, yeah. which he's never lived. He doesn't have the money to do, but right. it kind of in his head, that's who he is. And I love that kind of uh, that thing that we play on with that. Uh, Zach, your thoughts on? Yeah, Ryan. Ryan really um, helped me understand who Bradley was going to be right from the onset. And you know, it was it was like he's he's this person who, you know, kind of like what Jeff has said. You know, he's a bottle. You know, he's a bunch of you know just wound up nerves. And 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 that's the thing with Bradley is that he he is a, a decent person, right? Like he wants to do the right thing, but he also is fighting to have a really good life. And, and so he tries to put himself in all these scenarios and things like that. And maybe he idolizes the wrong things that he thinks is going to get him to a better life. And then it kind of blows up in his face. And then the comedy kind of comes from that too. So he's been, he's also been a lot of fun to write. Um, And then I also too, uh, I love seeing him and Cameron fight. And I think Jeff, you you (laughs) made a great point. You guys really get into it. And Max, who I've known for years, is just proving how great of a of a voice actor he can be because when you guys have gone at it excuse me in the in the recordings there are times where i'm like wow this is it's kind of juicy this is pretty good this is <laughs> might as well be a real fight you know so um it's it's been a complete blast I, I i think we could arguably see uh from all of our characters more growth uh for episodes to come but i i, I am curious to see where bradley's growth goes to i think arguably he probably has the most uh developing to go yeah uh allison uh so <laughs> as i say she kind of has her uh, t- radio talk show she's very much i think she's always kind of like looking to not disapproving would be the wrong term but she's always kind of like uh pointing the kind of foibles in the kind of things that everyone's getting themselves into i think that's kind of interesting uh ground that she covers um, Zach, tell us a bit about Ryan Bronson. Yeah, so Allison was supposed to be Frasier, but Roz. You know, it's, it's Frasier, but the female version of Frasier. And and you know, because Ryan and I, we both love the show Frasier a lot. I I'm a diehard fan, and uh, you know, so we we wanted to make sure that she had that strong personality of Roz, and then also you know, kind of that quick wittedness of Frasier on the air, which, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, as her character developed too, we are seeing this person who can give out advice, almost like a fortune cookie, you know, just be like, do this and everything's going to be great. And then she gets off the air and then she's like, my life's a mess. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> you know? uh, and, and, and then, and that's where that's where it's been really great to to write her and her character because we get to see 
you know, what it's like. I, I think in society, we look up to people who have positions in in the public sphere, whether it be a celebrity or a politician or things like that. And we, and for many ways, rightfully so, we expect them to be upstanding, morally good people, you know, especially when it comes to politicians. Rarely happens. But, you know, with Allison, it's really interesting to to see her be like, you know, I really do mean well, but I also struggle with things. And and I think there's a richness in hearing her story play out behind the scenes and seeing that kind of like lay into like what she's trying to do on the show. It, it, it really does show that deep down she is a kind and, and, and decent person who just just can't get her life together. But she's trying. <laughs> she's she's trying. In our most recent episode, she just did psychedelics for the first time. So I, I hope that helps. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll that was see. a nice episode. I'm looking forward to hearing how that one came out. I've got to say, uh, Jeff, your thoughts on Allison? Um, there's there could be. I think the the comparison you made, where you know Allison on the radio. Um, is to the public what Cameron is to the to the four in the apartment right there there's a a lot to be said about that comparison and and again she's she's like <laughs> I don't even know where to put her um gosh she caught me off I, I don't know how I can't say anything about Alice <laughs> oh my god I feel like there's there's bound to be something more from that character like yes um either uh an act I, I don't know about a relationship necessarily but like this whole thing with um con like pointing out the foot like how can you do that that's wrong how can you do that that's wrong why are we doing this why are we going here she she is the the first one to call out everybody's shit yeah and then you know it, there's i don't know i i love the character cassie does an amazing job um yeah i don't i i to, to piggyback off of that i think i think it would be interesting to begin in future episodes really to push uh um, allison maybe into kind of a new space of just adventures and things like that because i think a lot of the times she's also been a character who kind of cleans up after the boys messes you know <laughs> she's, she's she's like all right well i'll fucking do it and you know and then everyone else has to kind of listen to her and um you know i think it'd be great if if she also was was more of a leader in, in future episodes so as as you were saying i think there's also great development for allison along the way uh finally mrs halverson uh just <laughs> this is the like i love the fact that the in the lot of these sitcoms you've got the generation which is the mainstay of the show. Yeah. And then you've got the older character, whatever generation that is. Buffy was her mum and Giles in kind of, uh, in Frasier, it's uh, his dad, Martin. And like going back to happy days, you've got um, Mr. and Mrs. C. Mm. <laughs> and I just, I love that character. But you made that character just the most batshit of the lot. <laughs> the most extreme <laughs> The most wacky. Oh, you think you're a bit madcap? Look at what the fuck I'm messing about with cheese heads of Steve Buscemi. Cheese Buscemi is a featured, a repeat. It's a runner in our show. A cheese head made out of Steve Buscemi, and that's Mrs. Halverson in one kind of like uh, quirk. You know? Jeff, How, I, talk to us about writing that. Yeah, Jeff, I got to apologize. I never got back to you about creating more of the cheese heads ideas. So I, yeah. I, I need to get um, you know on that. Um, yeah, that was, you know, so Mrs. H, 
um, uh, played by Shannon. I think, first of all, I have to say Shannon does an amazing job voicing that character. And we knew, so Ryan created that character and he knew exactly what he wanted. And it was going to be, you know, that voice, that style, that everything. And then Shannon came in, kind of just swooped in and said, I got this. So when, for me, my difficulty sometimes with writing for Mrs. H is that she's already this, this crazy character. So how do I make sure the story or the joke we're, 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 we're putting in her, you know, scenario isn't, you know, too out there, you know, or, or a caricature or just like too wacky. And, and so I've, it's been a lot of fun to figure out like, okay, what's, what's weird enough for her, but then would still be somewhat believable and funny. And then, and then also totally in her wheelhouse of like, what, what could be done. And the cheese heads with, with uh, cheese Buscemi, it was, was one of them when, and just, you know, something that she would be completely obsessed about because, you know, her husband's away all the time. He's working on things and doing his career. And so she's at home or taking care of the building and hanging out with her friends. But then like, in the meantime, what is she doing in her spare time? What are her quirks? So um, she, I, I would say for her, she is a fun challenge to write for because I can't be lazy on her writing because it, it's too easy to be lazy. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's just a blast all around. She really, she really brings, and also is, is in many ways, a very wholesome anchor, which I think came out a lot in the Christmas episode, if I remember correctly, because leading up to it, you know, she was kind of a thorn in everyone's side, you know, plan this, do this, whatever. And then, you know, our friends had to react to that and be like, ah, here she is. She's, you know, bringing, you know, this weird food and it's going to stink up the apartment to, you know, her weirdness brings everyone together and somehow saves the day. Yeah, And I think that Christmas episode and subsequent episodes afterwards, it's almost the answer to, well, why do they put up with this pain the ass weird kind of woman who lives next door? Sure, she's fun for, for us to listen to as kind of uh, listeners, but uh, why would those characters put up with her? And you see it's because she's got a wonderful heart. She actually brings them together in ways they never kind of, it's almost like she's Mr. Miyagi. She's kind of, you don't see what she's doing. Why the hell is she getting us to, to paint the fence? What the hell is this about? Turns out she was teaching you karate the whole time. Right. <laughs> Jeff, tell us a bit about your experiences with Mrs. H. So, for, first of all, you know, credit where it's due. Shannon, um, Shannon it, it kills that every time. Every Because it's not just a voice, right? Like, you got to to do a voice and deliver a line with the right enunciation and attitude and just every, and she just comes in and seems like, Oh, okay, <laughs> here it is. Bam. Okay, good. So <laughs> for, you know, props to all the actors, of course, Shannon, of course. Um, so Mrs. H is to me, the, it took me so long to figure out who the hell she was, right? Like, cause I had this picture in my head and, and there you're right. There's a, that character in, in every sitcom. And uh, at one point, um, you know, it, it's either the neighbor or the whomever, you know, and, and, and I couldn't figure out like why, how to, ha, like who she based on or, or whatever. And then it, the character like kind of filled itself out. Like, mm -hmm. I don't need a, 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 a comparison anymore. Cause that's what I was working with with a long time. Right. Like the first up until Christmas, all of the episodes up to Christmas, you know, it's like, okay, I, I can see the episode, the sitcom that was kind of used as a genesis for the the Forza Crowd episode. 
and, and sometimes I couldn't, but certainly the characters, I can kind of find a little key, like, okay, this is what we're going for, but never mm-hmm. Mrs. H. And then all of a sudden it resolved itself. And now like, she's this odd pivot kind of counterpoint that anchors all the conversations. Right. But mm-hmm. with her own, and sometimes it's that quirk of the character, like the cheese or the, yeah. you felt the fish or, or whatever it happens to be. That is a pivot to the story, but the story doesn't exist without it. Even if it's tangential, right? Like the, the health inspector in the roosters episode, like that ended up being critical, you know, like it without it, the whole thing really doesn't work so much. Doesn't explain yeah. a lot of things. And that's where, you know, it just goes into the writing and, and somehow she's her and Cameron's relationship. Like there's a little, you know, it, it's like a either older sister or that aunt that just judges too harshly. You know, and, and it, it, <laughs> it feels like there's extra from Halverson to Cameron and Halverson to Bradley, but in different ways. Mm. Like she's got a, just a little bit of extra judgment. I'm going to hate on you two just a little harder. Yeah. And, and that's okay. You know, yeah. that's not a little bit to, for that snark and those, those little, you know, nips at each other, you know, and those, and those come and go. Cause like everyone, Oh, great. You're here again. Great. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I think the Cameron and Mrs. Halverson relationship's really cool. Cause it's like, you know, they're both kind of wise asses, but she's slightly better. <laughs> she's been on, she's been on it for a bit longer. So she always well, outwits you, but it's kind of, uh, you know, she's, she's free because she's, the older of the 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 pair right and mm-hmm. she's a woman she's free to say whatever the fuck she wants to cameron yeah. and, and the sense that i get and what i take into the the reactions like cameron will only go so far to knit back out of respect for you know she's a woman and she's the elder and you know she's the the damn uh what's it called super what the super yeah, superintendent or yeah. yeah um so you know there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance to what Cameron <laughs> is, at least through my filter, right? Like I, yeah. I'm never going to insult her too hard because she's all of these things, you know? I yeah, think she would always outwit you though. I just feel like that character no, always kind of got the no, jump on you. I, I'm just the better person. I mean, Cameron's just the better person. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I kind of like, just always get that kind of thing that uh, where kind of Cameron is so often, Kind of, he does have this kind of moral center at the end of it, kind of where he kind of says something which enlightens people. Where he's kind of off track, she's like, "No, no, no, no! Let me tell you how it is." <laughs> and it's like, "Let me correct you where you're wrong. I'll let you go with it for a little while." But yeah, <laughs> for me, it's been really fun doing the narrator. Uh, what I've kind of enjoyed about that is I was always a huge fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm. both the books and there was audio plays which kind of came out. The radio, the radio show came out at the same time as the books were coming. And it later on was a, a TV show and a kind of a film more recently. But, uh, but for the kind of like um, the voice of the book from the radio show, this guy called uh, Peter Jones, if I'm remembering the name correctly. And I always loved the fact, the thing he always said was that he always treated it as if he'd never heard those words before. So he was kind of reading this thing he didn't quite understand. Yeah. So it's like, it is all alien and weird. So he kind of brought that into his performance. And the fun which I've got to have with it is because I'm the English guy who's coming into an American sitcom, sometimes the words don't completely make sense. I have to go, it's like, what the hell? <laughs> Quilted blanketing? Oh, you fake snow. Is that all you mean? Quilted blanketing? Fine, okay. And it's like, um, or sheeted quilting, whatever the fuck that term was. And it's like, it's kind of fun to have have a bit of a play with that. It's like, and also be 
it's almost like sometimes I kind of sort of try and be celebratory of what they're doing if there's something cool. But I also like to sound a bit snarky as the narrator. It's like, oh, they're going on a low budget airline. Isn't that nice? You know, so yeah. it's, <laughs> it's kind of where I feel like I'm a blank slate. I've kind of got to play with that a little bit. Um, so thank you very much for the kind of uh, wonderful weird lines, which I don't get sometimes. Also, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, as a straight guy, sometimes like Zaddy, what the hell is that? I'd like to. <laughs> oh, it's, it's an older guy. It's a sugar daddy. Is that all you're trying to say? Right, fine, okay. Got it. <laughs> yeah, as my quilted, uh, quilted, my my kind of, um, you know, very sheltered uh, cis white male that I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's been honestly, you know, having your voice as as the narrator. It's it's interesting when we were casting everyone, um, you know, and like Jeff was saying, he was he was trying to go for the narrator, and then uh, you submitted um, your uh, audition as well. You know, we just we almost didn't uh, move on you, if I remember correctly. It was just because we didn't know, you know, would it, would it make sense for the show because it's an American show, or like would it, you know what would be the whole scenario? But we just, we heard you read those lines and we were like, well, there is just something very charming <laughs> about, <laughs> you know, having this accent that naturally, you know, just leads you through whatever scenario you're in. And we were like, well, that, I mean, that's exactly what the narrator is going to do because there are no cameras. This is all audio. So we really wanted to have someone come on and just, you know, really hit it out of the park and, and, and make it special and unique. And, and you've done an amazing job doing that. It's, it's been a complete blast having you a part of this. Thank you, sir. Jeff, you're right. The English accent really does cover up a bad performance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to quickly get to before we kind of uh, wrap, wrap this up is uh, it's also been so much fun. Uh, like the, to begin with, we were getting a lot of other people in to come and read other parts. Since then, we've moved more and more towards us just doing silly voices, which I've had so much fun with. Chef yeah. Emil, please, if you're going to check out anything of my performances, please check out Chef Emil. I had so much fun just doing the most absurd French accent. Um, Jeff, tell us about kind of, because you voiced in quite a few of the other characters, kind of how much uh, fun is it just to play? So I've I've always lied to myself that I, I do really good voices. And, you know, in, in the... 90s in high school like that was a, th a thing for me right because um i think the 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 foundation for that is like eddie murphy raw right because a lot of his stand-up delirious and raw was in mocking impersonating celebrities right other celebrities like mm -hmm. he did a hell of a bill cosby did a hell of a uh, um richard pryor mr t right and there that was a thing so that was kind of informative to like how I went about being funny. And so, yeah, I mean, here's an opportunity where we need a, somebody to call into Allie's show and be like some absolute Florida hillbilly, which I grew up there, right? I grew up where Zach and, and Ryan live. So like, <laughs> I know what we're talking about. I know who this Florida cracker guy is. I have met them. I may have been them. So it's fun. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's fun, you know, and like the pilot voice, I've in certain situations in the Navy, um, I've had I've been on a mic and, and headphones in, in watch stations for hours at a time. So I would often very often break into a pilot voice. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to move over here now. And thank you very much. Um, 
so you know it's it's just fun it, mm. it's fun to just branch out and unfortunately like the older i've got the the fewer that are available either by you know terms of culture where it's not quite appropriate to do things anymore so you know you self-limit and and also like voice and and sinus issues and whatnot so i'm losing <laughs> them there aren't so many i can do anymore and i can't do them on command without like getting uh like i have to listen to a couple hours of dennis leary to get a decent boston uh, <laughs> 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 but dennis leary in the era of no cure for cancer right um mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's he's also Leary, you could say, if you know that song. Oh, <laughs> I, I I'm a, I'm aware. I'm informed. I'm. <laughs> Do you know they actually used that song? They did a version of it for a British uh, drink driving campaign song. They changed up the lyrics a bit. Really? <laughs> yeah, the asshole was a drink driver, and they played it on TV over here. It was like obviously after the watershed, which. Uh, for those in America, like uh, after 9 p.m., you can basically do a lot more stuff, we'll say. You can right. swear on all this stuff. After 9 o'clock, before 9 o'clock, no, after 9 o'clock, swearing and some nudity is allowed. And, yeah, so they play this advert with uh, Dennis Leary. I'm just your average guy with an average job. Just this kind of soft opening. Goes, I'm an asshole. <laughs> We're watching this advert going, Really? Like, because even though you can do the stuff after nine o'clock, no one did it on adverts. Yeah. And for, for drink, drink, driving campaign, it's perfect. But anyway, back to our show. Genius. So, tell us a bit about a kind of uh, writing some of those kind of uh, ancillary characters, and b you sometimes stepping into to voice some of them, <laughs> which has been great yeah. fun. It's it writing writing the these these um, ancillary these extra characters was actually a great way in the beginning for me to kind of experiment with getting into character driven type scenarios i i've so my inspiration for a lot of what i'm doing for this show outside of fraser um comes from the hit show american dad which was an animated series and then also a little bit of family guy and uh so one of my favorite characters that i've written so far has been danny which is like <laughs> uh, like you know a different color of, of 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 you know dylan he's just a different shade of of the same <laughs> same fabric and um and and yet he just he's he's funnier because he's so much more you know weird in a way you know he's just like this very <laughs> interesting character and and i i was inspired by um one of the characters that that um american dad did where it was kind of the same thing where it was this this southern you know you know old southern where the you know everything's posh and 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 you know there's an accent and things like that um so that way when you know he said something it wasn't necessarily how he said it it was just what he said was insane because it's like why is he you know why, why is he doing this so you know it's it's been a blast being able to experiment and just get different people out there and then voicing them um i i've done it sometimes i i don't like to jump in because i really do know that that we have a very talented cast so if i can get someone else in the cast to do it great and then also i'm nervous as hell so i don't have to get up there <laughs> and voice anything <laughs> i don't have to put myself out there in that sense I, i'll let the writing speak for me um you know and it's but it's been great to see how much of the cast? I, I, you know, Jeff, your your pilot voice. The reason why I did that twice was because I just love how you can be so calm and then lose your shit. <laughs> that that's a uh, that's a part of the Navy, really. Is you know, 
uh, and I will, I will say that it may not be the best way to lead people, but sometimes, um, like I used to say this thing where I will ask you to do something at once and then I will tell you to do it and I, I won't again. And yeah. it, it, it is that, com- that pilot conversation where he loses his shit. Um, that's something I'd normally do, or at least I did not anymore. Yeah. I don't need people anymore. Not in that manner. Um, right. But yeah, it's just pretty simple. I love that we were pulling from from some past life experiences here. That yeah. made it very authentic. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, with, no matter uh, whether it's a voice you use or not, I think we just have so much fun doing it on the day. Like, there was a character on the last one, which is the uh, one which is about to come out. And it was a uh, character who's like this um, spiritual leader, uh, a yogi or like a <laughs> guru. Yeah. And and I just gave it a go on the day. It's not one which ended up being used because like I, I was channeling because you said it was a it was a stoner character, but he's kind of like the spiritual leader. And, stuff. and I yeah. just channeled my inner Kevin Smith. And so I was like, <laughs> hey, everyone, how's it going? Oh, man. And you're going, yeah, um, yeah, that was that was great, Squeef. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we were going for more of a kind of chill stone. I go, oh yeah, yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> but I had just such a crack doing it. It's like I don't care if you use these or not. Like, not that I don't want to be used, but it's like just the fun is doing it. And and some, if you swing for the fences, you're either going to like hit home run or you're just going to strike out. But at least you're going to have gone for it. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of spirit we all bring into it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I have to give a huge shout out to Max because he, you know, he, so he wants to do voice acting in general. Like that's what he wants to do as a career. So anyone who's listening to this, uh, ask for his details, please. Um, you know, it, it, he, like you said, just swing for the fences. There's so many times Max will come to me and be like, Zach, I have, I have this voice and I want to do this. And then I'll be like, all right, I'll try to make it work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that or or he'll do something he'll be like what did you think of this maybe it didn't work but like you said it's just fun to watch everyone go out there and give it a shot because at, at worst it's a no but at best we have a new character and and watching max do that there was one time um atticus bourdain in in the billionaire episode yeah. actually came from fun story max and i we were driving around one day and we were just you know bullshitting chewing the fat and we were we were driving through a very nice neighborhood um and it was you know like mansions big homes it was the very posh side of our of our town and uh he he said something where he was like oh god and and he had this whole <laughs> accent to it and he's like good lord you're poor and it just it cracked me up and i was like that's a voice and then that's really kind of like what spun the yarn of well let's get this billionaire who just is completely detached from reality just because the way Max delivered that line, even out of context, was so funny that I was like, "All right, let's go ahead and and do this." And then, and that and again, that's like kind of where Danny comes from, or the airline pilot. Um, you know, it's just how, you know, like I was saying, I, I'm very character driven because, like American Dad, the funny of that show doesn't come from necessarily the scenarios the 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 characters are put in. I mean, it is like it's a wacky animated series, but the funny part is watching how those characters knowing who they are react to what are by some standards normal scenarios you know and and so that's kind of been my inspiration when i when i write for these characters and i write for these voices it's just what's going to be funny in a normal scenario but the way they respond to it is just like wow that was so stupid or insane i can't (laughs) help but laugh at that you know (laughs) guys we are gonna have to wrap it up but um 
thank you very much for kind of uh, creating the well not creating it but like you for writing and uh, directing jeff for your kind of uh, fantastic performances on it but uh to me i just kind of wanted to shout out because we haven't really had time to go into it with everything else but uh, i just love the fact that even if you have and you haven't done this even if you had just taken every sitcom staple in the book and thrown it at this the fact that it comes from an lgbtq prison as well and it kind of hits those yeah. storylines the stuff that it's introduced me to, I like to think of myself as an ally, but there was loads of stuff I just was not aware of. I was not aware of this experience. And I don't think it's been told in this way through this kind of very absurdist uh, sitcom prison to have that kind of story told in that way. Just thank you very much. I, I think it's kind of really great when someone brings something new to, to Absolutely. the it, it's it's I, I won't take up too much time, but I just want to say I, I you know, I know Ryan and I um, and I mean, the whole cast as well. I won't I won't just say for both of us. It's been great to really tell those stories and just to give people an avenue, maybe, you know, if they're hesitant or they're unsure or they don't know enough or, you know, I would even argue, too, if we could transform some people who might be apprehensive, you know, if they could watch that and fall in love with these characters and 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 change their views i think that's a success for the show fantastic look um quickly guys uh before we talk about where you can find towards the crowd jeff where can they find uh, your show verboten uh verboten productions makes a whole lot of stuff the easy way to find it is at www.verbotenproductions.com awesome and zach anything else you want to plug while we're here uh no i mean just you know guys love doing the show uh let's uh let's keep making it great so can find us on our usual Twitter handles. <laughs> Forza Crowd Pod, and that's both on uh, Instagram as well as on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. So is it on Instagram well, as well I, as Forza Crowd Pod? I know we're on the Twitter. I uh, For the Instagram, I think it's just the Mrs. Halverson only fans. But I could be wrong. Okay. I haven't <laughs> been proud of the speed, so <laughs> who knows? Type that into whatever thing that you're going on, like Forza Crowd Pod. It's on, uh, I believe there is also a Facebook group now. But the main thing is go to your favorite podcatcher, Look up Forza Crowd and you will find it there. Uh, it's been so much fun. We've got about kind of uh, how many episodes is it now? We're up to 10? 11. Uh, we yeah, just did the 11. 11 coming out. Yeah. Okay. That's about all the time we've got for tonight. Uh, thank you very much to all my guests. I've been Dr. Squeed. That was my show. And remember, guys, in a world where you can be anything, please be kind. I'm not trying to win. I'm not doing this. Because I want to beat someone, because I hate someone, or because because I want to blame someone. It's not because it's fun. God knows it's not because it's easy. It's not even because it works, because it hardly ever does. I do what I do because it's right, because it's decent, and above all, it's kind. It's just that. Just kind. Hey, you know, maybe there's no point in any of this at all, but it's the best I can do. Why not? Just to the end, just be kind.
get ready for the new sitcom Forza Crown. Everything was coming up roses for Bradley and Cameron until... I could just lie here with you forever. I think we should see other people. And as if that wasn't tragic enough... The rent has gone up higher than annual passes at Disney World. But they have a plan... Turning this place into a brothel. To get a roommate. Enter Allison and Dylan. Your endless sexual escapades. Whole new men into home office. Join these 30-somethings as they face the challenges of balancing careers and dating after 29. Coming soon to a podcatcher near you. One, two,